Welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Carl Wonders. And we're talking about The Living Daylights. Wasn't it great to see a good Bond movie again? I know, right? <laughs> this was... And I have a few I have a few issues yes. with this movie, but in general, yes. It is, a, it is a good movie. It's definitely a breath of fresh air after the the last few Roger Moore movies, which I suppose was the entire point of this movie. Definitely. Um... I think we talked about, might have been an octopusy, where we were referencing our friend's podcast, the Franchise Fatigue uh, podcast, and we were saying the franchise is feeling very fatigued. And I think, you know, saying yeah. saying the breath of fresh air, I think, is absolutely right. Like, they, there's so much in this movie that is very still Bond formulaic, but it just feels new and fresh in a lot of ways. And it's just such a much better film than we've seen in a long time, I think. Yes, I would agree with that. Even though, I mean, it's it's still Maybaum and Wilson are writing it, John Glenn is directing, so nothing has changed really. But Timothy Dalton finally gets to be James Bond. I think we mentioned way back when that he was actually considered for Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I think he would have been too young. Yeah, that was the that well, that's what he said. He's he said, you know, wow, that's really you know, I'm flattered you would think of me, but I'm like twenty three or however young he, he was then, uh so I, I don't think he would have worked then. And then he was also going to be in Free Your Eyes Only before Roger Moore decided to come back. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, uh, Pierce Brosnan was originally going to be Bond in this movie. That's right. But he couldn't get out of his Remington to steal contract. Yeah, well, it's funny. I, re- I saw in a documentary or something that Remington Steel had been canceled, I think, after four seasons. And they announced Pierce Brosnan to be James Bond. And then the producer of Remington Steel said, oh, wait, this guy's famous now. Let's do another season of Remington Steel, which I'm sure probably annoyed him more than anything else. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's a good show, by the way. I don't know if you've seen it. It's at least early on. It's pretty fun. I don't even know what it's about. Um, It's about a woman who is a detective, a private private investigator. And the, the premise is that she tries to do her own business as a private investigator and nobody hires her because she's a woman she then concocts this fake boss named remington steel and he gets he kind of gets credited for all the stuff that they do and she gets hired and becomes pretty successful and then for various reasons uh pierce brosnan plays a con artist more than anything else and he steps in and pretends to start he starts pretending to be remington steel for various reasons that make sense if you watch the episode and then he essentially has to play the part of being remington steel even though he has no idea what he's doing and they kind of partner up and solve mysteries like everyone did back in the 80s that does you know? sounds... it's it's a good show yeah that does actually yeah. sound like it would be interesting yeah and he you can see from his performance why people would have thought he'd make a good james bond he's very suave and very cool uh at, you know as as mm-hmm. he is in in bond so I think it was it worked out best to have Dalton here rather to go straight from Moore to Brosnan because Moore and Brosnan play Bond very similarly, mm-hmm. whereas Dalton plays him differently. And I think it's important to have Dalton here shaking things up before we go back to Brosnan, who I very much enjoy Brosnan. Well, just like I very much enjoy Moore, but uh, I I think Moore and Brosnan were too. Cl- too much of the same sort of character uh and they wouldn't have been very good back to back i don't think yeah i could see that the biggest thing i think dalton does is he grounds this in a way that had the, the franchise hasn't been grounded in any way 
I mean, other than maybe for your eyes only, uh, th there was really not a lot of reality in the more era for the most part. I mean, even, <laughs> even the more, even, even the less outlandish films had their ridiculousness in there. I think the only real ridiculousness in this movie is some of the plot things that happen that make very little sense, if any, <laughs> but there isn't a lot of over the top nonsense. You don't see Timothy Dalton driving half of a car through Paris or, right. you know, or, or any of that stuff. You know, there are bits in this movie that I can't, I kept thinking like, oh, this would have worked in a, in a more film. There, there's a lot in here that wouldn't, but there are a few bits in here that I'm like, ah, okay, this is something that would have worked for Roger Moore. The laser on the car. The laser on the car is one. You know, we'll we'll talk through the the beginning of the movie, but that last bit when he lands on the boat and immediately this woman starts hitting on him, I'm like, yep, that's a that's a more thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll be there in two hours. I'll be there in in one hour, and then she gives him the champagne. Better make that two. Like I can see more saying that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but again, like and, Dalton and doesn't see that makes sense since it was written by the same right. Yeah. Although I mean, I mean yeah. next and, next week was written by the same people too, and there's nothing at all connected to Roger Moore in that movie. I could not see no, I could not see Roger Moore doing license to kill. No. No. <laughs> so yeah, so we get I think a really good opening and a good introduction to Dalton in this movie. Um I I always loved this opening Gibraltar. I stuff. like the opening, uh -huh. but it just... What was the end game? If Bond hadn't stopped the truck, what was he gonna do? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good... I mean, yeah, the, the, the plot of let's infiltrate this war games scenario with some guy that's gonna do stuff. Yeah, I don't know what stuff he was supposed to do other than clip the Smirtspionum tag on him and kill the guy. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because he steals the truck with explosives and drives away, so he was clearly going to do something with it. Well, I don't think he knew it had explosives. I think he just stole the truck that was there. Mm. Like, he's trying to get away, you know, he shot up a couple guys and he wants to get out of there. I, I love the guy at the end, at the at the, the gate, who, like, shoots the paint at the <laughs> truck and then just stands there and gets run over. Like, what are you doing? Or, or yes. the other guy who's like, hey, hang on, you're dead. Do they not have radio? I mean, maybe they didn't have a lot of radio because this is still... I One of the ways that this film is very dated is when you watch so many people walk around with these cordless phones that are just those ginormous like ones that had the big cradle that you put them in the charge. <laughs> you know? like... And I feel like that's one of the only things that does date the movie. Mostly it, it doesn't feel dated to me. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, but sure. you, know, you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the big things with, with Goldeneye, where they're like, oh, what do we do? There's no more Soviet Union, uh, which is a big part of the movie. But yes, so this is, because I can't help myself, um, this is John Barry, the composer. This is his last film in Bond. Mm -hmm. I think he does a really good score here. I think it is it is dated in a lot of ways. He does a lot of these electronic drum the, riffs. Yeah, the that, electronic Bond theme that, yeah, did not that, fit the late 80s it, well i think it fits the late 80s i think it just dates the film as being the late 80s
that feels more 70s or early 80s to me but okay. okay um and i i think they do a fairly decent job but i think the aha song is much more dated than we got with duran duran even though duran duran is quintessential mid 80s I will listen to the Duran Duran song way more than I would listen to the Aha song. I mean, the Duran Duran song is just a better song. It is, yeah. But I, I don't think it's that much more dated than Duran Duran. It's still better than what was it that we had in Octopussy? Oh, uh, All Time High. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's still better than that. There, there's no sleazy <laughs> saxophone in this one. I actually really like the other song that they give to Necros, like his, his little, you know, Where's Everybody Gone song. I think that works really well, too, even though it's also fairly dated and in, in a way that, you know, definitely sets this film in the, late, in the mid to late 80s. But... It is worth pointing out this is the first Bond film that came out in my lifetime. Aha. Okay. I wasn't, uh, you know, watching this in the theater as a right. one-year-old or anything, but it did come out in my lifetime. No, I hadn't. I, this is one of the la last ones I think I saw. Uh, uh, you know, if you you know look at all of the films that were in existence at any point, um, for some reason I hadn't gotten around to this one or it just wasn't shown on TNT or TBS at the right time because uh, that's really where I saw most of these. I don't remember it being released. I don't remember it being in the theater. I don't know if my parents went to see it. I certainly didn't go see it. Um, I also mm -hmm. certainly didn't go see License to Kill in the theater. Um, well, no, it was PG-13. Right. I, I imagine a lot of people went into that movie and were kind of surprised by what they got from it. Uh, <laughs> but we'll get to that next week. It's a good movie, though. It's but a, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so is this one, which we should probably talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose. Yeah. So is there any... Do you want to... Is there anything about the opening that we you want to get to we haven't really touched on? The opening's pretty generic. Yeah. Robert Brown is still M uh, at this point. He, he stuck around. I will say, while watching this, I'm like, it has been quite a few years since I have seen this movie. Mm -hmm. I, I believe I mentioned last week that I didn't remember all that much about it other than the cello down the ski slope. Yep. I had completely forgotten that John Reese davies is in this mm -hmm. movie. <laughs> 
And I saw his name like, wait, what? Yep. <laughs> Having watched the movie now, I don't know how I forgot that John Reese davies is in this movie, but I had. John Reese davies of course, is most famous for playing Leonardo da Vinci in Star Trek Voyager. Uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Definitely his... His quintessential know, the, the John Reese davies role. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> gotta work this gotta work in the Star Trek connection there. I mean, everyone who went to see Lord of the Rings was like, hey look, it's Da Vinci. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas someone old like me said, hey, it's Sala. But um <laughs> yeah, Well, yeah, that too. Yeah. I've seen those movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I can't help myself and it's another Star Trek connection, I should also point out that the the woman uh who plays the main female character in this movie uh mariam d'abo is cousins with olivia d'abo who was in a star trek episode she plays one of the q continuum people so there's another star trek connection for, yes she does for those of you out there who care about such things so i was actually meaning to look that up to see if they were related but i forgot so thank you yep. for doing that for me yep they're like first or second cousins or something like that so because it's not like that's a very common name no I mean, well, so I don't think any of the other actors were, have ever been in Star Trek. I would remember if Joe Don Baker. Was <laughs> he would, yeah, that would have been an, an interesting. <laughs> we're inviting somebody who is even more into Star Trek minutia than we are to say that you know the guy who played the third bodyguard in this opening scene or something was was in Star Trek, but. Um, absolutely tell us this yeah. because this is the information i live yeah for. absolutely uh, yeah but <laughs> like I, I i need to know if the guy that plays saunders was in star trek i mean i don't think so no he doesn't even have a photo on his on my before. plex on my plex lineup he like, doesn't his even face get a picture is, like yeah familiar i've seen yeah. him in thing. he's he's done so, stuff you no know, it's possible sure but unlikely yeah so we find out that they're watching this general koskoff who Played by Haroon Karabay, who I think is probably most recognizable from The Fugitive. I was going to say, that's where I know him from. Yeah. who's He's defecting or something, and they're trying to protect him from a sniper. Saunders is a real dick in this scene, I think, to be honest. But maybe that's just because we're used to people being a little more deferential to James Bond. Saunders is also a bad spy, because he's speaking loudly enough for the people in the booth <laughs> to, next yeah, door to hear yeah, him. To go, shh. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about costumes before, and so I want to credit um, the convertible tuxedo jacket that Bond is wearing that you just kind of close up and it makes it all black for him to be able to hide out with a sniper. With, like, the largest sniper's rifle I think I've ever seen out on the balcony Yeah, here. no, that is a, uh, you know, that's a versatile jacket mm -hmm. right there. And it doesn't break away. He doesn't have to take it off and turn it inside out or anything like that. It's it's more it's certainly more believable than than uh, Roger Moore's hat. In the last movie. <laughs> yes, or two movies ago. Yes, I guess. yes. Nothing will ever top his uh, reversible jacket and breakaway pants from *Live and Let Die*, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand how the lapels work on a reversible jacket. No, no, that's a good question. They're waiting outside, waiting for the intermission for this performance, because that's when Koskoff is going to go and make his move to run across the street to where they're hiding out. A couple points here. I, I don't get why Saunders is hanging out upstairs, because later he has to run downstairs to let Koskoff in the door. You'd think you'd want him to be like ready to let him in immediately. The other thing I'm not quite sure about, and maybe they 
jump time here or something, but when we join the performance, they're just starting the first movement of Mozart's 40th Symphony, which then ends, and that's the break, which I've never been to a concert that does that, but okay. Anyway, <laughs> you'd think they would play the whole symphony, but... <laughs> I mean, maybe they were doing different parts of various symphonies. Is that a thing? I mean, that's something that, like, high school bands do. <laughs> I don't right, think, yeah. I don't think, like, major orchestras play one movement from something like a Mozart symphony, but who knows? Anyway, uh, we do... We do see that there is apparently a KGB sniper, uh, the woman who was playing the cello at the mm -hmm. concert that's trying to shoot Koskov, but Bond doesn't think she's a real sniper. I don't think... I, I imagine that he has reason to believe this. Uh, I mean, he explains like, why later. Is there but... reason? Well, he... He does, but I don't think he explains very well, because... Well, he says something like that she didn't know one one end of the rifle from the other. Like, she's clearly not experienced at handling firearms. I mean, yeah, and maybe that's true. I don't really get that impression from watching her, but no. maybe that's true. Maybe. It's also worth mentioning that, and I haven't read it in a while, but I think this is essentially the story from the actual Living Daylights short story. where okay. Where Bond is, he's a sniper looking for a sniper. To protect somebody mm -hmm. and it's some woman who i can't remember if she's a cello player or not but he ends up shooting the gun because he knows that she's not a legitimate sniper and that that's all i really remember about the story but i think that that is from the source material okay i do like this bit here with um bond essentially tells saunders that his plan is stupid and they're not going to do it and and he has his own he, he's clearly already planned this alternative thing that he's going to leave Saunders holding the rifle and drive off with Koskov here. Yeah, because Saunders wouldn't tell him earlier. He said it was need to know. So mm -hmm. then Bond, when Saunders wants to know what he's doing, he's like, oh, it's need to know. Yep. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's a good line. And I, I, I also, I enjoy that he, <laughs> that um, he tells Koskov that, don't worry, we have a pipeline to the west, and then puts him in a literal pipeline Correct. to the west. Yes. <laughs> This is clever. This whole this whole opening bit, I mm -hmm. think, is really is well done, and we we can quibble about the distracting of the guy in, in the pipeline, uh, which is a little yeah. unnecessary. I like the whole bit at the beginning when they have this thing they're going to put him in, and it's called the pig, and he's like, "Pig, what is pig?" And they, you know, how many times have you done this? You're the first, and you can just hear him screaming as they close the thing, and we must hurry, get him in the pig. Pig? What is pig? Scouring plug to clean out the pipeline. This one's been specially designed to carry a man. Pipeline? You mean our pipeline? Great Soviet achievement. Piping natural gas into Western Europe. But, but, but not me. Don't worry, Yorgi. It's a piece of cake. <laughs> Never mind cake. If you open valve before 100, he will be boshed. Figs, boshed, cake? There must be another way. Get in. Well, put on the mask. And breathe normally. Now talk! Relax, Yogi. Our engineers have spent months perfecting this. How many times have you done this before? You're the first. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, 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 the distraction scene itself is, well, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I kind of like how they subverted it, because she holds up the big wrench, and she's like, I've got to take care of the yeah. director, and you think she's going to, like, She's going to knock him over the head. Right. So I like how they surprise you a little, yep. but 
wow. Yeah. And it, I mean, I like the fact that she's the one doing all this. It's her decision that oh, that's yeah. how she's going to handle this. I like how she just abruptly stops when all the lights stop blinking and just leaves him very confused, I'm sure. Uh, she doesn't pick up her tool belt. No, she leaves it there. That's true. And I, I like how while Saunders is getting searched at the border, you hear the... Yeah. The, yeah. You hear Koskov go through the pipe. Right. That's good. Yeah. He's like leaning on the pipe, I think, even. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, and it ends up in this, I don't know, this tower of some kind that they have to climb a zillion stairs to get to the top and put them on a plane and fly them off to wherever they're going. This is where we get the line from the movie. Where... Yes, scared the living daylights out of yeah. uh, and It goes to some English manor house, apparently. Yeah, we'll get there. I don't quite know where they're at in this that part of the movie or what, what this is, but it's a, it's a nice location, but... Uh... Uh-huh. I, I don't get what they're doing there. We get some kind of new MI6 set, which I'm not a fan of. I can't tell if this is just Q's lab or if it's... Bunker thing? Yeah, or what this is. I feel like we'll have this same set for Q's lab for several movies. We do, yeah. like this. It, it's a very 80s, like, cement, harsh lighting, really clunky old computers, because that's what they had then. Yeah, they weren't clunky and old then. No, they weren't, but they look it now. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not quite as bad as when they do the identograph and they have that giant like washing machine thing they have to put the tapes into and everything, but uh, <laughs> I enjoy the fact they're going through these KGB assassins and we essentially Exploding meet... teddy bears. Well, yeah, there's that one. Uh, we meet somebody who is essentially Zinnia on the top before there was a Zinnia on the top because she strangles with hips and thighs. Yes, James, legs she's are... just your type. Yeah. I miss Lois Maxwell. I don't know anything about Carolyn Bliss. I don't know what else she's done. I just think she's very poorly served by this film. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't have a lot to work with, and she doesn't make much of what she's given. He mentions the cello, and she's like, oh, come, why don't you come and listen to my Barry Manilow collection, which I don't know if that's a legitimate way of attracting people in the england in 1987 or not but i it, it certainly isn't something you would say today no. <laughs> so i hope it would be something they would that's okay then but yeah also <laughs> i thought by way of being out of the 60s and the 70s we'd outgrown ass slapping but apparently not which is just bad she starts flirting with him by taking off her glasses. He puts them back on, back on, smacks her on the butt a couple times, and then leaves. And just, really? Come on. Yeah, it's not great. Although this might be the last time anything that overtly awful happens in the series, to Moneypenny at least. Although, the stuff that happens in Die Another Day is unfortunate, but that's more her choice rather than being yeah in the workplace. Anyway, the less we say about this, the better. <laughs> that is definitely true. So yeah, they, they end up at this like farm or manor or something where they're keeping Koskoff. But first we see a milkman get a, get strangled. Yeah. But yeah, there's like all sorts of stuff going on. Is this like, was this manor like Koskov's like, uh, like what they gave Koskov as a present for defecting or something? I don't think so. I mean, there's all of these like, I mean, they're not secret service because this is Britain, but these types with radios, they have that weird like rake that detects his gun and they confiscate his gun. Like, this feels very either MI6 or just some general British government thing. So it's probably just a safe house right. of some kind. But I don't know whose house this is. Okay, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it seems a bit excessive. I mean, this is bigger than M's house was. So, I guess 
do they still have milkmen in the UK or did they at least still have them in the late eighties? I would imagine so at least out like this is out in the boonies somewhere. So maybe cause like, I feel like milkmen in my mind are like a, a relic of a time before refrigeration. But I guess, you know, if you're out in the sticks and you don't have access to a grocery store, I guess. Yeah. And there's a, it's a local, it looks like there's a local farm cause that's where the milkman's picking up the milk. So I don't know. And it must be, yeah, and it must have been a real thing, otherwise they wouldn't have put it in this movie. But it just feels, to me, like, it feels like the, the Milkmen had all, had gone the way of the Dodo by the 80s, but that may not be true in England. Yeah, that could be. For some reason, this, this never bothered me. Like, I never questioned the Milkman thing before. Mostly because I like this guy necros in the oh. in the film i think he's a he's a he's 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 in the top tier of henchmen for me i i like him too yeah he's good if we set aside the where are they and why are they there like i think this is pretty well done like you know the the fight scene we get in the kitchen with that other guy later i think is a really well staged i love the fight scene in the kitchen yeah not sure why there's a random parrot in the kitchen but i love the fight scene that's got to be the same parrot from free eyes Only, that was right? my assumption yeah like otherwise why is it there at all <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I've John Glenn likes parrots. I guess I don't know. But yes, it's a very. I I I really enjoy the fight scene between Green Four and the Assassin. I always cringe when he gets his face pressed to the grill. Yeah, thing like that. That's gotta hurt. Also, maybe this is the time to bring this up. Like we mentioned, Harun Kirbe from The Fugitive and stuff. I I don't know what he's doing with this character here. Like, was it? I don't know if it was a director thing, if it was in the script, or just his own way of his own take on it where he's a bit of a buffoon yeah well he's acting well he's playing a character who is acting and pretending so i think maybe sure koskov is a bad actor maybe maybe that's that the, could be that's how it works because he does seem he does seem more serious later with whitaker yeah for the most part so yeah although there is the that one part where he where you know some i you know he gets told some bit of news he's like i told you i told you you know like that kind of stuff comes back so i, I don't know I told you to British believe me. I told you. Yeah. I told you. I, I do. Yes, I would say he's a better villain in The Fugitive. Sorry for anyone who hasn't seen The Fugitive. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's been it's been like 27 years. You're. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're spo- if you're worried about spoiling The Fugitive <laughs> by this point. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just continue to spoil it and say Richard Kimball did not kill his wife. Sorry. Well, um... I don't care, Carl. <laughs> Jakar killed his wife. Ha! Nice. Or Tomalak, whoever you prefer. Uh, I I, so, I prefer that guy from that one episode of Enterprise. Oh, that's true. He was in that too, wasn't he? <laughs> I don't know the characters. Remember the character's name, so I clearly don't prefer. No, him. No, I don't either. No, <laughs> no, no, no. So Koskov is actually doing a heck of a job selling this bit here because we find out later that this is all a ruse, mm-hmm. and I don't quite understand why it's a ruse. I don't fully understand Koskov's end game. <laughs> like, I I don't know what he's doing. No. There's a lot about what Koskov and then ultimately Whitaker are doing in this movie that I just don't understand. Uh, we'll get to it when we get towards the end of the film, where there's there's a sudden turn in what's going on that just doesn't make sense to me. Everything involved with Afghanistan makes no sense to me. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to Afghanistan... Um, <laughs> yeah, because once you go there, you can't leave, apparently. No. Necros puts on a fake doctor's outfit... Or just adds a stethoscope and gets rid of the uh, yeah. It wasn't the milkman much apron. of a outfit change, you know. No, <laughs> and then they put him on a fake helicopter. It's a real helicopter. Well, okay, a f- <laughs> fake Red Cross helicopter. It's a real helicopter. <laughs> I'm just saying, it, it flies. It's a real helicopter. And, 
and we ha- and we have a show title. <laughs> uh, we get yet another scene of Frederick Gray annoyed at Bond. I love it for screwing something up. Yes. Yeah, I love. I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure this is the last time we see Frederick Gray, and I've enjoyed the fact that he's hung around for so long. Yes, and does the same shtick every time. Oh, so we also I didn't mention it, um, but. When mm-hmm. Bond first shows up at the manor house with his basket of goodies for Koskov, uh, I love the look on M's face when he reveals the wine that he got him. Yes, the the Bollinger <laughs> wine, and he's like, "What?" She, like, <laughs> and uh, like he said, the the what do you say? The brand on the label was questionable, or something yes. like that, or the brand on the order was questionable. <laughs> and he's like, "I I made some substitutions." Yeah. What's this? What's <gasps> from here? It's a godsend. The food here is horrible. The foie gras is excellent. Da da da. As Russians say, hearts and stomachs good comrades make. <laughs> What's this caviar? Well, that's peasant food for us. But with champagne, it's okay. Bollinger R.D. the best. Mm. Uh, the brand on the list was questionable, sir. So I took the liberty of choosing something else. Superb, Mr. Bond. Superb. Continuing the trend of Bond one-upping M when it comes to all forms of alcohol. Yeah. But yeah, no, I that that might be one of my favorite. I I've never been a huge fan of Robert Brown just because I think he's kind of dull compared to uh Bernard Lee. Robert Brown is probably my least favorite M. Yes. Although maybe Edward Fox when we get to uh never see it. Again, I wasn't but, Okay, Robert Brown is um, my least favorite canonical. <laughs> uh okay, fine. <laughs> uh but yeah, no, that I, that might be his my favorite acting moment from Robert Brown is the look he gets when he looks at the label or the the receipt. Yeah, pretty good. We we head off to Q uh to Q's lab again. Yet another completely ludicrous and pointless piece of technology is that revolving couch thing where the guy sits down and just like gets sucked into it. And then Q it. just sits down on top like, of him? And then Q sits down on it. <laughs> okay. So I have, did not realize that these key finder things were a real thing. I mean, obviously not the the with mm-hmm. the immobilizing gas. But apparently this was something that, like, people in the 80s actually used. They would whistle and their keys would whistle back to them. Yes. And it's it's funny because we have a shared note that we put our, our notes in for the show. And I had written, will anyone younger than 35 remember these key finders? And literally within, like, 12 seconds of me posting this, you, you added to it. No, because I, I don't remember them. <laughs> it's true, I don't. <laughs> I, I thought this was so weird. Like, why is this a thing? Uh, th- this entire movie, I'm thinking, yeah. what is with this weird key thing? Um, but that was that yep. was a real thing. Mm-hmm. They really existed. Yeah, you'd whistle and it would beep, and that's how you would find your keys. How did it even work? I, I can't I can't answer that. But <laughs> like, because I'm thinking, if it has has an always on microphone, like, how does it run on like a little button cell battery? Maybe they didn't last very long. I don't know. I didn't have car keys in the late 80s, so... <laughs> Fair. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that couch. I'm not sure what's up with the couch. Is it better or worse than the door that closes and kills someone? Well, we find out that that's actually a practical thing later in this movie. Um, I still think the most egregious thing is that umbrella <laughs> with the spikes yeah, on the it. the umbrella was pretty bad. <laughs> like, why? Why? Somehow neither of us mentioned the ghetto blaster. Yeah, so... I I actually knew that 
that boom boxes were actually called ghetto blasters at one time um because i mm-hmm. watched a couple retro technology channels on youtube uh so that one i actually got it's like because that actually they actually did call them ghetto blasters yeah so it was a play on words as opposed to just like some right. weird racist thing that q was saying <laughs> <laughs> also seems slightly impractical but yeah that too so Bond then drives the Aston Martin all the way from England to Bratislava. Apparently. That's a bit of a hike. Yeah. Bratislava is not anywhere near Calais, which is probably where the ferry would have come out. That's a long drive. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, it feels like it would have made... I guess he needed the fancy gadgets eventually, but still. Anyway. Plus, we gotta we got to keep our deal with Aston Martin here. Yeah, for another movie at least. Yep. Before we switch over to BMW. Mm. So Bond watches the cellist play again. Yep. Follows her onto the tram. Mm-hmm. But then she is removed from the tram by a couple of goons who we, we find out are reporting to Pushkin, John Reese davies yes. Well, we see John Reese davies there, yeah. Yeah. And so Bond sees her talking to Pushkin. And he takes her cello, which she left behind on the train. And then we have this scene... Yep in a public bathroom for some reason because right. we have to show bond looking at the cello case in the public bathroom i get that he's looking at the gun and everything like that but like we have to show the bathroom attendant being very confused and okay mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway uh so why does she keep her address in the case that holds the gun and not the cello <laughs> like my guess is that she took the cello out of the case and just didn't think. Because, again, she's not a professional at this. I guess. Yeah. I mean, if there, if there's one sign that she's not a professional KGB assassin, is that she has her name and address in her gun case. <laughs> yeah, her real name, her real address in the gun case. Yeah. yeah. So Bond is waiting. Bond, thankfully... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. He helpfully got rid of the gun, if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, tossed it in the in the lake i believe he said or river yeah yeah Yeah, in the river and Mm -hmm. he's now insinuating to her that he is a friend of koskov Mm -hmm. and which isn't really not untrue true i mean but bond now is definitely sure that there's more going on which he was already but like he definitely Mm -hmm. knows it now right so they find a way to sneak sneak out without the they moved very quickly while that tra- where that trolley was going by. Yes, like I mean, this is like some. They like practically. This is almost David Copperfield level. They teleported from that. Here. Yeah, because it didn't take long at all. And but anyway, <laughs> they do, they do man. So you figure it was Bond in the outfit walking into the. Maybe, maybe. Actually, I'm. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Well, no, I don't think so. You don't think so. You think it was I Bond? Think it was. Because it looks like he's wearing slacks. He's wearing dark slacks. Yeah, he does look like he's wearing dark slacks under the thing. Yeah, I think it was Bond in the outfit. Which begs the question, where was she but that then, she was able to get in the car how did she get in the so car? Quickly? Yeah. Yeah, because I'd always assumed that he was in the car already. Yeah, there's a lot going on here that I don't... Yeah. It, it, but anyway, it worked. She has to stop and get her cello because she couldn't have had a violin. Usually I don't like this stuff, but like there's a... 
I think there's a really great almost romantic comedy moment where she's like, I need my cello. And he's like, no way. And then they cut right to him, like waiting impatiently outside for her to get the cello. Yes. Which I think is, it's, it's a, it's a really cute little cut there. Also noticing that they're driving through some more bad rear projection, even though it's the eighties now. It's better rear projection than if this had been shot in the sixties. Yep. But yeah, it's still not great. This is where he's lamenting that she's not a violin player. They cram this cello into the back of an Aston Martin, which I'm kind of surprised it fit. Yeah. But it barely does. It barely does, actually. Oh, he's got a... And he's got a fancy stereo with a computer-controlled auto-reverse on the tape deck. Mm-hmm. La-dee-da. Doesn't need to flip the tape. No. It also gets the police band, which is... Well, that's just an atmospheric anomaly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it gets the police band just so we can hear that they're telling the police to look for him. Yeah. A man, a woman, and a cello. I don't think that laser is plausible in any way i no, not none of this makes sense although it does give my favorite one-liner in the movie what happened salt corrosion and that's how you can tell it was written for roger moore because i could absolutely see roger moore saying that yes yeah and i mean this entire car with all the gadgets is way more roger moore than mm-hmm. dalton although part of that i think is because we know what's happened what happens in the next film where it's very lean mean without much in the way of gadgets yeah although Q does show up with some stuff, but he doesn't have the car with the rocket launcher to blow up this truck that they're setting up a roadblock with. So my question is, how does he actually adjust the air conditioning? Well, maybe it's a dual system where if you activate the laser or the rocket launcher, then it does. But otherwise... Yeah, maybe only if you turn the thing that puts the thing on the screen, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I also am not sure how well that would really work. I feel like there would be debris that the car would get stuck on. Yes, that's true. But it works well. It's a decent action scene. Yeah, and it doesn't go on too, too long. And I, I like things like, you know, they they end up on the lake and then yeah. he loses a tire and carves the hole, although the hole changes size dramatically. <laughs> yeah, it gets much uh, smaller, yes. At one point. Uh, yeah. If this had been made 10 years before, he would have stayed in the shot. He would have stayed driving around inside that shack for another, like, five minutes. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> The shack would have driven off, and that would have been the end of the scene. Like, it would ju- the shack would just be driving down the yes. street. <laughs> <laughs> it's convenient that the that the car comes with skis. Yes, they, they don't last very long. That's the one part where I'm like, wow, Q really thought ahead here to take this two-door sports car and put skis on it. Yeah, I feel like you'd want to hide the self-destruct button a little better. Like, your rocket... Yeah, I mean, at least it has a little, like, it has a little clear plastic cover on it at least yeah but like your rocket launcher is like a normal (laughs) car control but the self-destruct just labeled in big letters sure yeah okay so they make it down the hill in the cello case and they have nothing to declare just this cello i i like his line earlier when or at one point where he's like i'm glad i made you bring the cello Mm -hmm. so the cello gets a bullet in it yes and we see her playing that cello in the future a couple times actually surely that bullet hole must have altered the way the cello sounds like one would think right i'm not like yeah, an expert so. on this but i assume a cello is shaped the way it is to make the sound that it makes and if you have more holes than it was designed for that would change something yeah i think it definitely would affect the sound of the cello but anyway yeah i mean i i'd written something along those lines too but yeah it's there's definitely going to be a problem playing it yeah it also holds up remarkably well for being dragged down a... Yeah, there's that, too, because like you that. definitely see it, like, in the snow. 
Mm-hmm. So at this point, we're off to Tangier, and we meet Brad Whitaker, who apparently likes to create wax figures of dictators and make them look like him. Yeah. Like, it took me a while to figure out why these wax figures look nothing like the person that they're su- supposed to be, and then I realized they're all him. Yeah. Like, I'm like, that's a really bad wax Hitler. And then... Yeah, I was going to say, do you think somebody somewhere paid money so they can have a wax Hitler that looks like Joe Dunbaker? <laughs> I'm sh- there must have been an auction. <laughs> <laughs> right? There had to have been. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know what to make of this whole... Like, so I, I like the idea that he had this deal with Pushkin for to buy weapons because Whitaker's an arms dealer. And then he cancels on him. And then they have to change whatever their plan is and get rid of Pushkin. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that. I don't get anything that happens after this, though. Like, I don't know why... Why Koskoff is hanging around with Whitaker. I don't know. It just... It's weird. It doesn't help that Whitaker is played by Joe Dunbaker either. <laughs> but I don't know how you would... He, he doesn't do everything No, badly, he doesn't. But... Joe Dunbaker... Okay. Joe Dunbaker plays and... the same character in every movie he is... Every role he is ever in. But he's mm-hmm. still decent. I mean, I like the fact that... And I think maybe Joe Dunbaker is the right kind of actor for this where he's pretending to be a soldier he's that kid that plays with army figures but never grew up right and to the point where i think pushkin calls him out on it and he's like you know what military did you serve in you were you got thrown out of west point for cheating like you're you're a fraud Mm -hmm. and i feel that seeing joe don baker play serious i think might work a little bit actually in now that i'm talking myself out of my earlier opinion of him (laughs) He's a buffoon who's trying to be serious and tough. Yeah. So, yeah, we find out, yes, basically at this point, we just find out that Pushkin is trying to get his, wants his money back. Mm-hmm. And Whitaker's already put in the order for all the weapons that they were going to sell and all that stuff. And meanwhile, Bond is going full-on charm offensive here with Kara. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it works. Like, I I half expected the carriage guy to go Amore <laughs> know why i assumed that austrian carnivals wouldn't be exactly like american carnivals uh-huh but i assumed that they would be at least slightly different well they sell beer in the <laughs> in the food hall i guess but other than that they do that at american carnivals in some states <laughs> i guess they do that's true <laughs> we just grew up in pennsylvania so <laughs> that's true we, we grew up in a state with blue laws yeah uh no, that's true. If I go to if I go to the one in Maryland, they they sell beer. Yeah. Uh, All right. So, but I guess I was getting ahead of myself a little bit because that's a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We first have to have Whitaker and Koskov talk about how they have to get rid of Pushkin. Yep. That is an enormous lobster. I was about to say that is like the biggest lobster I've ever seen to the point where I don't even think it would taste very good. I think it'd be kind of probably. But anyway. Well, I'm not a huge lobster fan to begin um, with, so I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, this is like one of the scenes where Koskov is playing it a little more straight and a little more serious, I think. Yes. And Koskov is convinced that he has convinced the British and is said Bond is going to mm. kill Pushkin. It's not a problem, but Whitaker doesn't trust that that'll happen. Right. So he sends Necros to make sure that it, that Pushkin is killed in some way or another. Uh, we're at the opera here. Yep, which is where we... Which is where we catch up with Saunders again. Who I finally start to like now. Well, he's not being a total dick this time. He's not, no. They agree to meet at the Ferris wheel. And 
of course, Bond has to, you know, do his charm at the Ferris wheel at the carnival where he's, I guess, bribing them to stop the Ferris wheel at the top so he can make out. I think that's the idea, yeah. <laughs> I, I like the little the little beat before when he's doing the rifle game and the guy's like, please, no more. Yeah, that please was good. Stop. And they like give, like, <laughs> he just keeps winning. <laughs> yeah, they show, like, all these different carnival things. and Okay. Uh, yeah, I just didn't realize that Viennese carnivals were just like American carnivals. So so what would you have in a Viennese carnival? I don't carnival? know, but like <laughs> something Germanish or Austrian? I mean, something I don't know, like different games? I don't know. It just feels Now I'm wondering if like the American carnival is just imported from Europe. <laughs> it very well could be. I don't. Yeah. They've been around a lot longer than we have, so So I guess did they have complicated pneumatic automatic doors in the 80s, too, as my resident 80s expert? No, because I I mean, maybe they did in Europe. I know in the U.S., I just remember the, the fancy doors at the like the grocery store. You'd step on the black mat thing and push a button underneath, and it would open the door for you. Uh, yeah, this is all... I don't I remember. Don't... I don't remember fancy pneumatic glass doors that weirdly have the apparatus that works them exposed to the outside well there's a glass window that covers it yeah but that's still still weird yes yeah so yeah no i don't i certainly have never seen doors like that before no i don't even remember the doors you're talking about for all of my life grocery stores have had the doors that with the motion sensors Mm -hmm. or at least all of my life that are this is pre-motion sensor yeah and that makes sense i guess it's a way to kill whitaker you mean saunders yes i meant saunders i don't know why i said whitaker it's that's a pretty crappy way to get killed i think and i feel like that's way more force than that door possibly needs but anyway possibly i mean it it shatters everything yeah like why is the door even capable of opening with that much force well if if it's a pneumatic system then or if it's hydraulics or something i mean i could see it being a hydraulic system maybe being able to do that because i mean hydraulic systems can be pretty dangerous yeah as we discussed earlier in the movie yeah all right Okay, but anyway, yeah, it's a way to kill Saunders and make it look like it was Pushkin that ordered mm-hmm. it. We have a we have a scene where Bond pulls a gun on the little kid. Yep, because he's carrying balloons. And this is where Bond kind of gets mad at Kara a bit, yeah. right? For reasons. Well, I think at this point he... Well, he knows that he's seen her with, he's seen her with Pushkin, mm-hmm. and she's in league in some way with Koskov. And I think he's, so. like, just legitimately upset about Saunders, too. Oh, sure, yeah, of course. And this is stuff that, this is where having Timothy Dalton really helps. Yes. Like, I would have a hard time buying that quiet anger from Roger Moore. I would agree with you on that. Like, the scene where he pops the balloon. Like, that's a scene that Timothy Dalton can do any day of the week, but I don't know if Roger Moore could pull it off. Yeah, probably. Just because Dalton is, Dalton's a damn good actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least, I I like him a lot in this role. I like him Um, in most roles that he's in. Yeah. So now we're in Tangier's. Where in Tangier breaks into Pushkin's hotel room and confronts Pushkin over the Schmerzpionum thing. I do like the line because he, he comes in with flowers for his wife or girlfriend or whoever she is, and he says, "I, you know, Bond points the gun at him and pushes him onto the bed, and he says, I take it this is not a social call.' And Bond says, "Correct, you should have brought lilies, which I think is a good line." <laughs> yes, and and I like the fact that you know it's revealed here that. That the Smertspionum thing is a load of nonsense. Yes. Like, I like that fake out 
that he's like, what are you talking about? Smear Spionum was this dumb thing we did in the 60s and no, we're not doing it anymore, you know. Which, by the way, is actually where the the word smirsh comes from. Um, I I assumed as much. Yeah. Well, they even used the phrase smirtspiona in a earlier Bond movie. Oh, did they? Yes. Hmm. Uh, I definitely just read that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say I didn't remember that, but yeah, it is mentioned in. Uh, okay, no, I'm sorry. The smirsh is mentioned. Okay, never mind. That's what they're saying. Never mind. Yeah, in uh, in from Russia with Love, they talk about mm-hmm. Smirsh. But you're right, though they don't use yeah. Smirsh Shmionum, but yes, it is a reference to Smirsh. Yeah, and yes, and I also I think I'm because I've read the first few Bond novels. Now I think I'm getting my facts, my memory's a little hazy on because they definitely go in get a little more in depth into into what Smirsh is in uh, the Casino Royale novel. Right, but anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, because Lashif works with mm-hmm. Smirsh. In, in the book, so he enlists Pushkin to help him. Yes, because Pushkin realizes that Koskov is, you know, doing something. Yeah, I, I like that. He's like, yes, the as long as you're alive, we'll never know what he's up to. Well, then I must die. Yep, and you know he gets up to give his speech and he gets shot. Damn lucky that Necros didn't fire first, and that Bond is such a he was about such to. a good shot, such a good aim. Yeah, with a handgun. Yeah. From, like, yeah. a balcony? Yeah. Right. <laughs> that could have gone really wrong. Yeah, absolutely. But it's Bond. Sure. And because we're in Tangier, we have to do a right chase across the roof, because that's what you do when you're in Tangier and you're in And a we movie. have to see a harem. And a harem, yeah. We get the goofy, like, uh... Here's another Roger Moore moment when he grabs the aerial. Yes! That that is that is a Roger Moore bit. He grabs the aerial, comes down, lets it go, and hits the guy in the face with it. And then he gets arrested by the CIA. Well, sort of. <laughs> like, this is a return to Felix Leiter as a dick. Yeah. This is a return to Felix Leiter. It's been quite a while since we've seen him. Yes. Uh, when was the last time we saw Felix Live Leiter? and let die. Live and let <laughs> yeah. die? Yeah. Wow. I don't like this Felix Leiter. John Terry is awful. <laughs> uh, he's... It's either him or the guy from Diamonds Are Forever, who's probably my least favorite Felix Leiter of all of them. Yeah, the Diamonds Are Forever guy was also not good. <laughs> well, the, the Diamonds Are Forever guy, Norman Burton, God bless him, like, he's just pudgy and out of shape, and he looks like he belongs at the IRS, not the CIA. John Terry feels like he just stepped off the set of Miami Vice. Yes. And, I, I mean, I appreciate them wanting to cast Felix Leiter younger than they had been for a long mm-hmm. time. Especially since they cast Bond younger. Yeah, sure. But he's just bad. He's not good, yeah. And it's so weird, like, so many of his lines are not shot with him speaking at the camera. Like, he'll say a line and they'll cut to him just not saying a word and just kind of staring at the camera. It's just bizarre. Like, I don't know what they were doing when they shot this. I'm wondering if they changed the script or something. I like that they brought back Felix Leiter, but that's about the only thing I like about (laughs) this whole part of the movie. The... The jacket he's wearing is very 80s. Like like I said, he, I mean, he looks like he's off the set of... Who? who Bond? No, I was thinking Felix Leiter. The blue, that, like, that... Windbreaker he's wearing? Oh, oh, yeah, the blue Windbreaker, yeah. Like, Windbreakers in general just make me think of the 80s. I mean, at least it's not one of the ones that has, like, the zipper with the hood in it. <laughs> around his, you know? I'm also going to be a bit of a snob here and suggest that James Bond would never drink Jim Beam. That's probably true. 
I mean, I mean, I guess Felix Leiter offers it to him, but... I mean, there's nothing wrong with Jim Beam. I mean, I guess if my choice was Jim Beam or no bourbon, I might drink Jim Beam, but... I'll drink Jim Beam over, you know, like, bottom shelf whatever. Well, he had Jack Daniels on the shelf, too. I don't know how you feel about that. I would take but... Jack over... <laughs> I would take Jack Daniels over Jim Beam. Uh... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, well... But... Would Bond drink bourbon at all? Well, he drinks bourbon and branch water in, uh... Although that's when he's pretending to be somebody else in Honor Majesty's yeah. Secret Service. And, and no, and, and Roger Moore ordered bourbon a couple times, because remember in Live and Let Die in that club when he orders the bourbon? Oh, that's right, yeah. And then yeah. he sinks down to the floor and the guy drinks it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess... But I think, I think that was in the era of we have to make him look different than Sean Connery. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, Felix Slater, though... Yep, he's in this scene. He's there. And then we never see him again until the very end. Which I have something to say about that too. Uh, There's a scene with with Koskoff and with Whitaker again. We don't quite know what's going on yet. There's apparently diamonds in in Amsterdam? Well, that makes sense. But yeah, we all suddenly introduced the concept of having diamonds out of nowhere. Well, they're forever. This is not the only time we're going to introduce completely new plot things. So Bond goes back and finds Kara practicing her cello. She makes him a martini that has some very fast-acting sedative in it. So she makes him a martini. She already had, like, it ready to go in the shaker. Yeah, it's going to be a watered-down martini. Yeah. So, like, I guess when he says perfect, he was not being accurate. Because, yeah, there's no way she would have known when he showed up. No. So, But, yes, uh, she she plays her part, and... Bond is now abducted and taken on board the plane as Jersey Bondov. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's a organ transplant with a heart in it, so it's clearly oh, well, they need to. They're taking him somewhere for surgery. Yeah, I don't think that's how you transport no, hearts. I don't think but... so either. Okay. I'm assuming I'm not a you know. <laughs> heart transport specialist but i don't think you hook it up to like some sort of electrical thing i don't think that's a thing no at least i've never heard of that you know i just noticed for the first time that they reuse the handle like eggs label they put that on the heart transplant case they had that on the nuclear bombs in thunderbolt ah well it makes sense to, i mean yeah it's a label that makes sense mm-hmm. so yeah bond sees the diamonds in the ice yep he notices it's not a human heart either and now he gets to hear Koskov's brilliant plan, which, whatever. Okay, yeah. Well, as James Bond says, they have a saying there, and he's full mm-hmm. of it. And now we're in Afghanistan for some reason. We are in Afghanistan for some reason. I mean, the Russians were in Afghanistan then, so they were, that yes. sort of makes sense. But now, this is where the... I still really enjoy this movie, and there are some scenes in the last third of the movie that I like, but this is where the plot completely falls apart. Yes. For me, anyway. I would agree, yeah. Like, they, they get thrown into a prison but he breaks out because he does the little wolf or the the little stun gas thing on this guard and then they let there's another man in the prison with them and they let him out Mm -hmm. and it turns out that he is one of the commanders for the mujahideen yep because they're in afghanistan so this is back when the mujahideen were good guys (laughs) yes (laughs) because they were fighting for their freedom against the soviets yes exactly as opposed to you know when they started fighting us, well, for plenty of reasons, but mm-hmm. yes. Anyway, okay, so Bond enlists the help of the Mujahideen, and 
There's just, why is any of this here? I, I don't know. I mean, he asks them for help, and they say, you know, Art Malek, the guy who plays the leader, whose name escapes me. Kamran Shah. Kamran Shah, yeah, thank you. I'll help you, but we have to do this other mission first. And it turns out their other mission is involving the same people. And we get yet another example of, I can taste what raw opium tastes like. Because <laughs> he... They have all these what look like medicine bundles that actually have opium in them. And Art Malik is probably best known as the villain from True Lies. True Lies, yes. Who could be the same guy, actually. <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I don't know if they I don't know if this faction of the Mujahideen turns into Crimson Jihad later, but that's a movie that isn't quite as entertaining as it used to be. True Lies? Yeah, I, I still like it. But there are jokes in there that just don't land mm. anymore. Yep. Yeah, but it still has that awesome... Post, post-war post on terror. Sure, but it still has that awesome scene where he chases a motorcycle through a mall, on, through a hotel on a horse, right? Yeah, and it's like, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, pardon <laughs> me. That, that, that is great. That whole, that whole section of the movie is great. Sadly, it's not this movie, but... <laughs> Maybe we should watch that movie since it has spies. It does have spies in it. I can make the case. Yeah. Okay. Oh, God. Are we going to watch every spy movie ever now? No, I just want to watch True Lies. Fair enough. Yeah, so so I tried to write this down and I gave up. So Pushkin gave them money Mm -hmm. for for arms and then pulled out. And then Whitaker bought diamonds instead and is now trading the diamonds for arms opium which he's then gonna sell to get the money back and then make a profit and give some of the money back to the russians i think Uh, yeah there's i'm confused and and what does this have to do again with why koskov faked his defection and why they pretended to have smirt spionum it was to get pushkin out of the way no it was so that koskov could be a hero for rescuing pushkin (sighs) it's it's all dumb it's all very dumb i mean this this is like this is like Silva in Skyfall level complicated here. <laughs> yeah. Which I have a lot to say about that movie when we get to it. I mean, the, the movie's still entertaining as long as you don't try to figure out what's going on. And that's more damning than it than I really mean it to be. Yeah. No, I think you Because at the end of the day, you don't you I don't care what the plot is. It's more are we going to get Koskov for being a, a dick earlier? Are we, you know, Yeah, it's just the plot doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay. But Bond hides no. a bomb in the opium, but Koskov recognizes him when yep. he's getting off the plane. Right. And now we have a shootout. We have a shootout that I think goes on for too long. Yes. It's not as long as some, but yes. It, it's still better than the car chase in Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> or the boat chase in Live and Let Die. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That could have been a really good action scene if it was about half as long. Because it's, it's it's a scene where, and we probably said this when we recorded the episode, but like every time I think it's almost over and then it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't have Sheriff J.W. Pepper. Oof. Well, he's not in this movie, thank goodness. <laughs> Could you imagine Sheriff Pepper in Afghanistan? No. No, I can't either. Uh... <laughs> no. So so there's a, there's a moment here where koskov is in a jeep Mm -hmm. and he runs into the plane and the jeep blows up koskov is not he's he's dead right like he does not survive this collision but then he manages to like climb out of the jeep and 
fall out. It's a huge explosion. Yeah, he should not have survived that. No. I also don't... I didn't care for the dramatic effect of waiting for the for the plane to be able to roll over the blocks that were keeping it from moving. No, that was... There was no need yeah. for that. <laughs> I do very much like this last fight scene with Necros and Bond, though. You know, that's good. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously it's not them, but these are some damn good stunts that they do. Like, when they're hanging onto that net that ends up falling out the back of mm-hmm. the plane. Like, I mean, those are actual people doing actual stunts like that. Because uh, this is pre-CGI days, so you can't fake this. Right. And uh, although I will say, I don't quite know what Kara's trying to do here, where she's flying the plane and then intentionally opens the thing and tries to dump people out of it. Like she's, I think she thinks she's helping. Yeah. She should have paid more attention to where the plane was going. You know, Kara's an... In- we didn't really talk much about her. She's a rather interesting amalgam, I, I think, of the bad female stereotype character we get in Bond and a more modern version that we get especially the next mm-hmm. movie and then moving forward with it where kind of like that we were saying that this is a weird mix of Roger Moore Bond and not Roger Moore Bond. I think that, you know, she'll do things really well and then she'll do some things that are just actively causing more problems than anything else. So I don't know. I don't have a problem with her for the most part. And it's not really a problem with her. It's just the the, the way it's written more than anything else. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think she's trying to get, she's attempting to throw Necros out without throwing Bond out, but I'm not sure how she thinks she can do that. Right. And it and it yeah. is inconvenient that uh, all those sacks that fell, none of them were the one that contained the bomb. No. And that is a nice moment, though. Like, so after he, you know, Necros is hanging onto his boot and he cuts it off and Necros falls and does the British Wilhelm scream again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But, like, you know, the the thing closes, and Bond's laying on the ground exhausted, and you have that, like, relief moment, and then you just hear, like, bloop, 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 and it's like, oh, shit, the bomb's still here. You yeah, know? but he turns it off at, three se- at two seconds instead of one second, so, you know, he had a whole extra second. He does. At least it wasn't at 007 again. <laughs> yes. And then, conveniently, they fly over a bridge that the Mojahedin had just r- run over to get away from the Russians, and they drop the bomb on the bridge. Mm-hmm. That's very good aim. It was very good aim. That's some good miniature work, though, throwing up that bridge. It was, yeah. And now, but they got the fuel tank shot up while they were doing that, and now they're going to crash in Pakistan, but... Oh, dear. They managed to get the get out on the jeep somehow in a way that doesn't they, hurt them there there's there's no way they survived this no because that was something that they would have had to have done from much higher up for the parachute to actually do something yeah like the moment he knew he couldn't land the plane he should have been like let's get out in the jeep mm-hmm. and that might have worked but yeah because they would have hit really hard i'm also very unconvinced that he couldn't have figured out a way to land that plane it looked like a pretty flat area there was a road. Yeah, there's a road there. Yeah, I mean, once he once they're sitting in the jeep out there and the plane crashes, I'm like, there's a lot of open space you could have. Just because the engine stopped, you're still gliding. Yeah, and you can still degree, control right? the flaps to steer it. 
Yeah. But he knows a great restaurant in Karachi, so they can just make dinner. Thank goodness. And now we have what has become standard in the last several Bond movies is after we've managed to stop the world from ending, we have to go after the bad guy. Yep. Felix Leiter is there to help him defeat one guard and then leaves. Bond breaks into uh, Whitaker's place, finds him messing around with his toy soldiers again, reenacting Gettysburg. So I'm confused a little bit by this conversation. Mm-hmm. So, Bond comes in and says Pickett's charge was up Cemetery Ridge, not Little Round Top. And then, right, Whitaker says he's playing it as he would have done it, and then goes on to say mm-hmm. how what Meade should have done. So, is he playing it how he would have done it as the Confederates or how he would have done it as the Union? Because <laughs> apparently, because Pickett was was a Confederate general, uh, Pickett's mm-hmm. charge was. Yeah, I'm 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 a little confused by this conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, part of me thinks that it's. I mean, there's two possibilities here. One, you have two two writers who aren't up on their Civil War history. Yeah, and I realize, uh, as someone who grew up in Central Pennsylvania, I know way more about Gettysburg yeah, you, than the average person. I recognize that. <laughs> well, well, as somebody who, through the course of going having high school history classes, got to was forced to watch Gettysburg not once but twice. Oh, jeez. Uh, not in the same year, obviously. That would have been like half the year. year. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, imagine watching Gettysburg in thirty-five minute increments. Yeah, jeez. That was a that was long. That would have taken a week uh, or so. Because the movie's like what four hours? Yeah, it's not as long as Gods and Generals. No, nothing is. Uh, Literally, it, Gettysburg is. is actually good. Uh, also, um, no, it is a good movie. Gods and Generals, not so much. Yeah, I don't. I, I I'm also wondering, or maybe it's just. You know, this guy, Whitaker, is, again, he's a fake general. He's he's just... Mm, okay. Oh, he should have done this, and he should have done this, and he's not really paying attention to which side he's talking about. Well, he isn't wrong that Meade probably, if Meade had pursued, he could have ended the Civil War right then at that battle. Yeah. But yeah. he's not wrong about right. that. <laughs> no, no, he's not. But, yeah. But, yeah, the part that I just don't get is, he's like, this is how I would have fought it. So I'm going to have both sides do different things. Like, wait, what? (laughs) Well, so, so here's, here's another thought, though, because he's, he's coming in and and he's reenacting Pickett's charge, apparently, in some way with these toy soldiers, and Bond calls him out for not knowing what he's doing. I'm also wondering if when Whitaker starts talking about Mead, he's just doing it as a distraction, because his whole point is to get the little figure over to the, the boat. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. So, you know, he's he's just kind of riffing at this point to distract him. But, you know, he, he distracts him, he pushes the button, the little remote-controlled drawers pop open and knock Bond over, and then Whitaker gets this machine gun thing. And we had recently, as in... I don't know, maybe 45 minutes ago or maybe not even that long ago, saw that Bond is a really good shot because he was able to shoot Pushkin in the chest into his bulletproof vest. With a pistol from a balcony. Why isn't he shooting Whitaker in anywhere but where there's the little face shield? Yeah, because, you know, no match for modern (laughs) armor. Modern body armor. It's not body armor. Okay, take out his shield on your gun. No, it's a face shield. Yeah. You've had your eight, now have my 80. And then he's, like, bitching about Wellington for some reason. 
he had to. Well, it's the return of Wellington. He had to. Yeah, this is the return of Wellington. He had to buy German mercenaries to beat Napoleon, as if that's somehow bad. Right. He still beat Napoleon, didn't he? Yeah. He still beat <laughs> Napoleon, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is nice to see the exploding uh, keychain yes, payoff. It is. And I like how Whitaker like looks at him and laughs, and like what when he wolf whistles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that was good. I like Bond's line where he says he met his Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, Pushkin comes in and then Koskoff is doing his Koskoff thing and Pushkin seems like he's buying it and says, put him on the next plane. And he's then he's like, put him in the diplomatic bag. So, yes, <laughs> we won't see Push. We're not going to see Koskoff no. again. And now we are seeing a symphony because we have to see, mm-hmm. uh, we have to, we have, you know, final see everybody yep uh john barry is the conductor here yes he is john barry's little cameo mm-hmm. here in his final movie which you know it's nice and we yep. get general google nice little... this is the final movie for general yep. google as well yeah so apparently pushkin was supposed to be general google the whole movie and well, the actor was too sick or was unable to do such a demanding part so that's why pushkin exists mm-hmm. And I'm not sad about that because then we got John Rhys Davies in a Bond film, so I'm okay. I'm very okay yeah. with that. I mean, I really like General Google. I like how he was a he returned for several movies. I really enjoyed that. But yes, I mm-hmm. I liked John Rhys Davies as Pushkin. And you know, I don't even think General Google would work as well no. in that part. It would it would make the story work better a little bit. Like when we saw in the beginning when Bond's like, I've worked with him. I know I, I he wouldn't do that. It would make more sense if it was Google because then we would yeah. be like, oh, yeah, you're right. He wouldn't. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I have a hard time seeing the guy who last movie was joking about Silicon Valley and, and giving the Order of Lenin to James Bond would suddenly turn around and be yeah. doing smirt spionum. So I think in in some way it it would it would lend credibility to Bond not believing it. But I think from an audience perspective, I like the idea that we don't know who Pushkin is. We don't know what he's up to. And I think that when it turns out that... Like, I think if it were Gogol, we would we would think Smertspionum was a ruse from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And here, we don't know that. And I, I like that we don't know that. Yeah. So it, it could have worked, though. And again, John Rhys Davis is great, so mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah, he is. And then we get the whole last scene, which is predicated on your forgotten technology of the beeping <laughs> keychain. Yes. And, you know, we obviously we've got to have... We, the movie has to end with Bond and the woman. That's just... Yeah. A requirement. That's how the, that's how they mm-hmm. end. Well, that's how they, end, they ended then. I mean, the they don't always end that way now. No, they don't. But yes. And that is the very first Timothy Dalton movie. It is, sadly, one of only two of them. I think he could... I don't think he was too old. I think he could have come back for GoldenEye. I think he could. I yeah. very much like Pierce Brosnan in GoldenEye, and I don't regret that he was cast for that movie at all, but I think Timothy Dalton would have still been able mm-hmm. to do it. I think so. Because what year was that? 1994? Five? Something like that. GoldenEye was... 95, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so who would have been eight years older than... I mean, it depends. Like, hopefully it's not like eight Sean Connery years. <laughs> uh, between this movie and then. Well, but... what movie was was Timothy Dalton in something in the mid-90s? 
Because I really only see Timothy Dalton today and Timothy Dalton then. I don't really... What was the, like, the missing link look like? Um, Like, between License to Kill and Hot Fuzz, I have no idea what Timothy Dalton looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so... The benchmark that's coming to mind, I'm just going to look this up really quickly. Um, Well, so Rocketeer... Rocketeer was, like, what, 91, I think? Yes. Oh, I have seen the Rocketeer. Yeah. looked more or less the same as he did in the 80s, but that wasn't... That was only a couple years later. I somehow never saw the, the show when it was airing, and I had to catch up in, random, in sort of a wrong order and, and more, very recently, like within the last four or five years, but I, my first go-to was to see when he played General or uh, Rassilon. But that was like 2009. Yeah. So... There was, was no Doctor Who Fuzz, in the mid-90s. Obviously, so. No, there was not. No, there was no Doctor Who in the mid '90s. But no, I didn't realize that that was. I don't. I I, I like to pretend that I was that, thinking that was that like the Paul McGann movie never happened. Oh, uh, Paul McGann was fine. It was that movie though. Yeah, <laughs> that's. That, let's leave it at that. <laughs> Paul McGann was fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking, and I have not seen any of these things that Timothy Dalton was in in the '90s. <laughs> well, you haven't seen a lot of things. Fair. But... <laughs> oh wait yes i did watch he played rhett butler in scarlet and i do remember that oh yeah and he didn't look that old i didn't realize there were three timothy daltons timothy's dalton timothy's daltons <laughs> yeah t- there are three timothy's dalton yeah there you go <laughs> i've seen the informant but that's not the same informant anyway i think timothy dalton could have come back but yeah yeah i think he could have yeah it's a shame that we didn't get I forget the the plot of the one that he was supposed to do when the studio went bankrupt and then, you know, Bond was put on the shelf for a while. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad for the two we got. Yeah. Again, all the, all this film really needed to do was inject life into a franchise that was pretty tired. And I, and I, I think it absolutely did that. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those movies that I enjoy every time I watch it, but when I try to think in my head of, like, top-tier Bond, it never shows up yeah. there for me um and i don't know if that's fair or not but it's never the one it's never like oh i feel like i'm gonna go watch the living daylights and then whenever i do watch it i i enjoy it so no i wouldn't i wouldn't put it in top tier uh, either but i think it's it's a decent no. enjoyable movie uh i feel very much i feel like this one the same way i felt when we saw um the spy who loved me where it was like oh hey look it's a good movie again yeah absolutely in in a in a strangely different way mm-hmm. too where it's this this feels like you know the 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 car has been refurbished and given a new coat of paint and the engine works better you know it's it's just this is the biggest change in the franchise i think that we've seen so far yes like shift into because even with like you know we had the diamonds are forever you know with connery and then you go to roger moore but it's the same writers and then you can tell it's the same Mm -hmm. writers and the feel is similar yeah i don't i don't think you get it Although I would also say that the tone from this movie to the next one is quite different too. Yes. And that's apparent right off the bat for me. But yeah, this, I could almost imagine, like if, if I were Richard Maybaum or, or Michael Wilson or any, any of the producers who weren't, obviously weren't going to be prescient and know that MGM and United Artists were going to have major problems uh, in the near future... They're probably thinking, all right, we got we got our guy, we're good for like another five, six films. Right. 
you know, we're, we're, we, we figured out Bond. We've, we've re- almost rebooted the franchise in a way, I'd say. Like you get this brief reboot, you get the reboot in, in, uh, with Goldeneye. And then it seems like every time, every time now, it seems like they completely re- redo the franchise when they change Bonds, whereas they didn't really do that from Connery to Lazenby and then to Moore. They just kind of kept on with the same stuff, even though it was a different person. And things were a little bit different, but they weren't really changing it up that much, I don't think. Yeah, I would, yes, that's how I would see that as well. And uh, I think, yes, we we definitely get a big shift next week, which we'll talk about more next week, which is interesting because next week is also Mm -hmm. still directed by John Glenn, but... Yep. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. If you would like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at Podspiel, or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at listening to film. And you can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. I think that's pretty much all I have to say about the Living Daylights, though. Yep, but next week James Bond will return in a movie that we don't have a title for yet. <laughs>